Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Do you make excuses or do you take action to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus? Find out what God has to say about making excuses in this message. Today we're going to talk about something I think that can change the trajectory of how you do things in life and how you can live. Today we're going to talk about excuses, all right? Excuses, or better yet, how to stop making excuses, all right? During this whole series, we've been doing polls. Raise your hand if, if, this, is, if this is you, all right? But raise your hand uh, if you like it when you hear a lame excuse, all right? Raise your hand if you, raise your hand if you, you like hearing lame excuses. Uh, 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 no, no, no. Raise your hand if you, if you like hearing lame excuses. You don't like hearing lame excuses, am I right? Okay, yes, hands down. All right, so nobody likes hearing lame excuses, right? But yet... Sometimes, sometimes we give them. Sometimes we use them as, as ways to, to get out of certain things in our life. And we've made them. We may have made them recently. We may have made them even this morning. Let me just tell you this. Um, oftentimes I like to tell you stories of, of the wow, look what happened. But I'm going to tell you a story of like reality. We all fail, don't we? We all fail. We all uh, sometimes uh, don't do what we say we ought to do. And well, I'm going to tell you a story of my personal life in the last two days, all right? Uh, I was out west at a wedding. Uh, our plane was delayed last night, got in at 2.30 in the morning. Oh yeah, all right. But I have some good espresso in the system today and some Holy Spirit. Um, but um, we... Uh, we, we flew out uh, to go see my brother first in Phoenix, and then from there we drove to the wedding. Uh, and one evening we took a walk uh, in his neighborhood, and something you need to know about his neighborhood is it's literally out in the middle of the desert. They, in Arizona, they build neighborhoods in the desert. I don't know why, but you literally have to travel 10, 15, 20 minutes to just get to a grocery store. So there is 10,000 people in this neighborhood uh, and one gas station. That's it, Right? So if you want to get a coffee, you don't go to Starbucks, you go to Shell, all right? And so it's like, all right, Shell, gas station, coffee, I'm desperate, all right? But so we're taking a walk in this neighborhood. So again, there is literally nine miles of desert in between this neighborhood and the next neighborhood. And we went to the, uh, there was a park in this neighborhood, so we took the kids to the park. And as we were watching the kids play, um, I was sitting at a picnic table with my brother, and I noticed this adult uh, sitting on the swings by himself, talking to himself, acting sporadic, uh, looking around and yelling at people that weren't there. And I thought, uh-huh, I'm going to keep my eye on him. And so I kept my eye on him, and then he realized I was keeping my eye on him. And he got out of the swings, and he approached my brother and myself. And he said, excuse me, can I use your phone? And I said, no, you can't use my phone because it doesn't work out here. That wasn't a lie, by the way. I was like, woo-hoo, I didn't lie. Can't use my phone, don't have service, sorry. And so I didn't, I didn't have service. T-Mobile failed me in the desert. Uh, but he went on and he began to talk about different things. He was sporadic. He, he said that he got in a fight with his mom and he walked from a neighborhood that was north of this neighborhood, which meant if he's telling the truth, he walked nine miles through the desert 
uh, to where he found us uh, in uh, the, the neighborhood, all right? When, when you hear someone walking nine miles through a desert, that, that's pretty significant. But he's acting sporadic. He was probably high on something, and I wanted to make sure he wasn't going to get near my wife and my kids. So I'm just thinking, all right, time to move on, time to move on, time to move on. He's like, I just wish your phone would work. I'm like, me too, right? Do you know anywhere where there's a phone? Well, I think I know where there might be a phone. There's a Shell gas station just a couple blocks that way. It's the only public place I'm sure you can find someone to use your phone. And off he ran and off he went. And as he ran away, he goes, hey, by the way, my name's Zach. Nice to meet you. I'm like, nice to meet you. And you'd want to know what was going on in my heart this whole time. Yes, I was worried about the safety of everything, but something was heavy in my heart. But as my wife and as my brother's wife came by, they said, hey, who is that? And I said, oh, it's just some vagabond that came through, walked through the desert. But oh, you know what? We, we're heroes. We made sure they didn't get anywhere near you or the kids. And they quickly responded and said, did you tell them about Jesus? <laughs> Losing horns, <laughs> bass drum, boom, nope. I didn't, but that was what I was feeling the whole time. I should bring Jesus up, but I also got to, I don't want you anywhere near my kids. I should bring Jesus up. There's a shell that way. My brother and I felt really convicted. My brother even brought it to another level. He's like, you know that parable where they say that man that you turned away and he was actually Jesus? What if he was Jesus? I'm like, well, bro, he wasn't Jesus, but he needed Jesus. It's like, you know what we need to do is what? We need to go to the shell. So we went to the shell and we went looking for him and we couldn't find him anywhere missed opportunity because we used an excuse that sounded really good. We used an excuse that actually may have had some truth in it, but the excuse robbed us of the opportunity of something that could have gotten this guy's life on the right trajectory through Jesus Christ. I often tell you stories of, yes, this is when I shared my faith, or this is what happens when you share your faith, but I wanted to share you, even your pastor, failing in a moment that I could have shared Jesus because I had an excuse. And I didn't do it because I was preaching on excuses. I realized later, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at that. The Bible is filled with people who make excuses. Our lives are filled with instances where people make excuses. So let's look at Luke chapter 14, by the way. And we're going to be all over the Bible today. So if you have your digital Bible, your thumb's going to be ready, all right? Uh, we're going to be all over the Bible today. But Luke chapter 14, verse 15, we see one of them. Then he told them, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who were invited, saying, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all, that is the guests, all began to make excuses not to come. Jesus was telling a parable of a story of a man who put on a banquet, a party, and he invited those who were closest to him, his friends, the family, uh, maybe even people of prominence in the city. And without exception, one by one, can't come, can't come, can't come. Now, we'll return to this text later, but I want you to focus on verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make what? Excuses. Excuses. What is an excuse? Well, let's just define it. Uh, let's give you a definition, and then we'll get into uh, some biblical examples. An excuse is the attempt to deny responsibility for an action or for a lack of action. An excuse is an attempt to deny responsibility for an action or a lack of action. I didn't share it because I was protecting the kids. <laughs> excuse. Excuses. 
An excuse is different than a legitimate reason, by the way. I mean, there are legitimate excuses. That's not what this sermon's about. Our life is filled with illegitimate excuses, uh, parading around like spirituality or wisdom, and they're not. They're just excuses. Henry Cloud, a Christian author, puts it this way. An excuse is a way of promising ourselves that we will have the same issue again. An excuse is a way of promising ourselves that we'll have the same issue again. Um, This one is uh, unknown, but I like it. No one ever excused his way to success. No one's accidentally like, wow, how did this happen, right? No one ever excused his way to success. And finally, this is a C.S. Lewis quote. I find that when I think I'm asking God to forgive me, I'm often in reality asking him not to forgive me But to excuse me, we all have excuses. What's your excuse this morning? What are your excuses? What are your go-to excuses? What do you try to excuse yourself from? Some of you might think this morning that you're too young. Some of you this morning might think you're too old. Some of you this morning, you might think, I'm just uh, kind of in between. I don't even know what that means, right? So the whole Gen X are like, we're kind of left out, right? Some of you don't think you're talented enough. Maybe you've t- you're, 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 you're got too much going. You don't have enough money. You have too much money. You're just too busy. It's somebody else's fault. You aren't qualified. Uh, you'll start it tomorrow. Uh, it, it's too late. What's the use? It's not your responsibility. You've done your time. You're not wired that way. Oh, we can keep on going, can't we? And we use them. And you know what? And when it comes out of your mouth, it seems wise for a second. Oh, yeah, you're not wired. What do you you mean by that? Nothing can hinder the growth of God in your life more than the excuses that you live by, that you make today for yourself or for others. So here's our main idea as we get ready to jump into a number of biblical examples of excuses is stop excusing your excuses. Stop excusing your excuses. So if we're going to stop our excuses, we're going to look at two things today. Number one, are what, are, uh, what are different types of excuses? Again, not exhaustive, uh, but we're going to look at a number of different excuses. And then how to stop telling excuses. So let's take a look. Number one, why we make excuses. Why we make excuses. First reason why is a false view of yourself. A false view of yourself. Uh, we often don't live up to the call of God uh, or live up to our potential, or have good attitudes, or, or oftentimes we keep in our addictions or sin, or, or we don't live by daily obedience because we have a false view of who we are. There's a reason why you're saying to yourself there's no use. There's a reason why you're saying to yourself, uh, I shouldn't even invest in this, or I shouldn't, there's just no way God can work this way in and through me. There's no reason why I should continue to even pray for this thing. And here's the reason why. It's not because you're living in reality. It's not because you're looking at what God can actually do. It's because you have a false view of yourself. Let's take Jeremiah, for instance. The prophet Jeremiah uh, in the Bible. It's, if you crack your Bible open in the middle, you know, uh, it's usually the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the longest books in the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet, but he didn't come from a family of prophets. He came from a family of priests. 
But God called him not to be what the rest of his family was, but to be a, a prophet, a prophet to the nations. Now, an Old Testament prophet, we don't have Old Testament prophets walking around today. God's given his Holy Spirit for all today, not just a few like in the Old Testament, but for all. Uh, but Jeremiah was given the task, was given the God-sized calling in his life to speak to the nations, to speak the word of God to the nations. That's the Old Testament prophets would speak the very words of God. Now, this was a, a tall task because if an Old Testament prophet said something and it didn't come to pass, they were deemed a false prophet. And according to Old Testament law, uh, you could be put to death. Thank the Lord that is not in, in play today, right? Thank the Lord that that was, a, that was for the nation of Israel, right? Uh, the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, but what we see here is that to have a call of an Old Testament prophet was a huge calling. It was a calling uh, from the Lord. It was a big task. They would say things that would sometimes happen in the future. Most often they would say things in the now that had future ramifications. Again, we don't have Old Testament prophets today because Holy Spirit's been given, to, has been poured out on all, men, women, sons and daughters, old and young, right? And so God calls Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.4. Let's take a look at it. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested. Oh no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For you will go to everyone and I will send you and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. And then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and he told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. What we see here in the text is Jeremiah was called before he was even born. He was crafted in his mother's womb. He was wonderfully and fearfully made. You know, likewise, that is the same for your story. Oftentimes we can look at a Jeremiah, we can look at different people in Scripture, I'm like, man, that's just them. Or you can look at someone in your life, or you think they're super spiritual, you think, and God's used them in mighty ways. Like, oh, that's just them, that's not me. I want you to know that God fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. Uh, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you get the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Uh, and God wants to move in and through you his purposes, his plans, not by your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we read here in the calling of Jeremiah, God has a calling on your life. God has a calling on your life. That is the right view of what you need to see of yourself. You have a calling on your life. Now notice, when did Jeremiah become qualified? What did he do, actually, to become qualified? What did, what did, what did, what did Jeremiah do to earn this qualification? Nothing. He didn't do a thing. He was born, right? And he had to trust God in this calling. God qualified him. It was up to Jeremiah to listen and to respond the calling in and through his life. So what do you think Jeremiah's response was? We read it. What do you think it would be? If, if God said, you know, I'm going to call you. You're going to reach the nations. Uh, my power's going to go in and through you. I'm going to give you my words. What do you think your response would be? Yes, Lord, send me. You know, don't you think that would be Jeremiah's response? No, it wasn't Jeremiah's response. Jeremiah's response was, oh, God, no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. 
I'm too young. I don't know how to speak in front of people. I don't know. Nations, I can't even leave my neighborhood, all right? You got the wrong guy, Lord. Sorry, find somebody else. And God's like, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about God moving through you. Oh, you need to hear this, church. It's not about what you can do in the natural. You need to allow God to work in and through you in the supernatural. That's why it's less of us and more of God. More of a spirit leading in your life, guiding and directing you. Do not for a second make an excuse of what the spirit of God wants to do in and through you. You see, when you see yourself as God sees you, you will heed the call that God has for your life. And you'll stop making excuses because, listen, here's the deal. When you make excuses for what God said to do, you're telling God no. Don't tell God no. Allow him. Allow him to push you and to move you. And don't worry about not being equipped. God equips his children to fulfill kingdom work. That goes beyond your talents. That goes beyond yourself. It makes you desperately rely on him. Too many people that are followers of Christ today are living a life where they can know about God but don't need to be dependent upon God. You get what I'm saying? God wants to move in and through you in a way to where you are absolutely desperate because if God doesn't show up, it's game over. That's the desperation that God wants in our life. But your excuses will push you to give up. But God's power will push you to keep going even when it seems impossible. God equips his children to fulfill the kingdom work that goes beyond your talents. But excuses occur when one forgets who they are in Christ. And you forget the mission that's been entrusted with you. So here's some tips, right? To see yourself as God sees you uh, you need to understand this. You need to be in God's word. You need to find a highlighter. Some of you are like, this sounds like heresy, writing in my Bible. Get a Bible you can write in then, and I want you to highlight. You can pick the color. I want you to highlight every promise that you read from God for you. Every promise. Everything that has to deal with your identity in Christ. I want you to, to bathe yourself in this. Because we are tempted every single day to forget who we are in Christ. And when you forget who you are in Christ, you begin to make excuses of saying no to God how he wants to move in and through you. So we make excuses because we have a false view of oneself. So we need to stop excusing your excuses because God wants to move in and through you. Despite your weakness, he's going to show you how strong he is. Second reason why people give excuses is to avoid responsibility, is to avoid responsibility. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about lying. I would encourage you to go back to that. It's called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. You can find that on our Kenosha City Church app or at kenosha.church. And we talked about the first lie occurred in the garden with the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve listened to the fallen angel, now uh, chief of the demon, Satan. Satan was deceptive. He questioned God's clear commands. God said, do not eat from the tree uh, of, of, the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Satan enters the picture and he said, did God really say that? <laughs> I mean, you're not going to die. I mean, why don't you just look at it? Just, just look at it again. Why don't, you, why don't you just try it, right? Satan was questioning uh, God's commands. Uh, he argued with half-truths. 
and false narratives. This is, by the way, Satan's MO, has been in the past, has been in the present, and will be in the future. He is a truth twister, a half-truth teller, and a changer of the narratives to get his way. And Adam and Eve, they bought into it. Did God really say? Oh, it's, it's not really a big deal at all. And as a result, Eve took a second look. She ate the apple or the fruit and told her husband to do likewise. So what do you think their excuse is going to be when God shows up? So in our lying portion of this message, uh, we talked about the, 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 the lie, but now let's talk about the consequence. And in the consequence, we're gonna see the first excuse. So in the garden, we had the first lie. In the garden, we had the first excuse. Let's look at it, Genesis chapter three, verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? <laughs> it sounds like, you know, just conversations at home. Did you eat the candy, right? You know, my brother and I, when we'd get into trouble at home, growing up, I should, I should say that, growing up, uh, when we were kids, when mom was at her end, she would say, you just wait till your dad gets home. That would instill an amazing amount of fear in our hearts we would be on the lookout we would be on the lookout okay when's dad's car coming when's dad's car coming my dad he had a muffler that was he never fixed so we'd hear it from a mile away oh i hear dad oh here he comes oh he's pulling into the driveway quick aaron let's run let's hide and we would go hide in our rooms and we thought we hid in a place he would never find us underneath the bed and every time he found us, we were dumbfounded. Like, how did he find us so quickly? We were under the bed. Like, there, there are things under here that have been here for years, and he found us immediately. How did he find us? And this is exactly what Adam and Eve did. You read this, and you can't help but think of when you tried to hide from your parents. They knew exactly where you were at, and God is like, hey, where are you? God knew where they were at. He was just speaking to them down to their level. Where are you? Oh, I hid. We didn't have any clothes on. Well, how did you find out you didn't have any clothes on? Did you eat from the tree? Uh-huh. Why did you eat from the tree? Notice verse eight. Hmm. Let's actually go to, uh, yes, verse eight. Verse 12, actually. Then the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit. The reason why I ate God is she gave me some of the fruit. It's her. God turns to Eve. Oh, is that so? Verse 13, the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent is the one that made me eat. He, he told me, he, he said, you know, is that a big deal? Can I die? Like, it's him. How often are we pointing fingers when we make a bad decision, when we blow up, the bad words come out of our mouth, or when we do something that we, that, that we think is wise in the moment, but it's absolutely foolish, and we point the finger somewhere else? It's them. They did it. 
We use excuses to avoid responsibility. It's called blame shifting. Blame shifting, by the way, is as much of a problem today as it was in the garden. Blame shifting occurs when you don't own up to your own actions and you place it on somebody else. You shift it onto somebody else. You project your issues onto somebody else. Blame shifting. It is a problem in society today. We're living it and it affects Christians to mark my words on that one. So we need to take responsibility for our actions. Too many people are passing the buck or think they are entitled to pass off their responsibility or actions. They made us do it, or you don't understand the environment I was in, or you don't understand the situation. You know, I, I just, they, they brought me to do this. They brought me to say this. They brought us to, to, to do this, this action. And for Christians, what we can do is sometimes we add God in the mix. They, they brought us to this, but you know what, God, God, God's making us do this now. Don't blame God for your poor decisions and the excuse of why you did something or didn't do something. We need to own up to our actions and not point towards other people. If, if you've been here for the way to the words, I'm like, man, I just, I just wish somebody, this person in particular, was here and they could hear this. Listen, they might need to be here and hear this, but you know who needs to hear these messages and every message from the word of God? We do. I do. Every single one of us. We, we don't want to shift our attention and blame on somebody else when God wants to do heart surgery with us. So here's a tip. If you want to stop avoiding responsibility, tell your close friends, your spouse, maybe even your boss at work. Maybe you're making excuses to avoid responsibility for your deadlines or, or not being a good team player, whatever it is. Uh, you need to maybe even ask your boss to call you out when you're making obvious excuses to avoid responsibility. But most important, Tell God you're done. I am done with making excuses of not obeying you. I know I'm going to need help. I know I'm going to fall sometimes. But God, help me not be a person that makes excuses. Because when you stop making excuses, you know what's going to happen immediately? You'll begin to grow in ways you've never grown before. So many followers of Christ today are stunted in their growth. In so many areas, whether it's work, home, your marriage, your friendships, at church, because you've been making excuses to avoid responsibility of growing. Stop excusing your excuses. Third reason we make excuses is a fear of not having enough. A fear of not having enough, a poverty mindset. Uh, Jesus speaks of a parable, uh, which is a story that speaks of real spiritual truth. When we say parable, it's a, it's a story that Jesus brings up to bring real spiritual truth. He speaks of a master who entrusted three servants with a large sum of money. He calls them talents. A talent, uh, people you know, are debating about how much is a talent worth. Uh, the best answer I can get is about $1.4 million in today's money. All right, So one talent is worth $1.4 million. So he gave one man five talents, which is $7 million. He gave another three, which is 4.2. And then one, one, which is $1.4 million. He gave out a lot of money to be uh, entrusted with and to grow and to be good stewards of this money. So we look at the last person. We're going we're gonna to take a look at just the last person who was given the $1.4 million. And this is what he did with it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, I'm giving back what is yours. 
His master replied, you evil and lazy servant. If you knew that I'd reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. The previous servants, the ones who had the five and ones who had the three, uh, they uh, saw their, the, the, the money invested and increased. They were good stewards of that money. But this last one, he had a poverty mindset. He was afraid. And he buried the money. Now, when you hear this story, I'm like, well, at least he's giving him back all his money, right? At least he didn't spend it all and wrote, wrote out IOUs and say it's as good as money, right? <laughs> you caught it. All right, so... Let's put it this way. You invest in a 401k your entire career, right? You're putting away money so you can retire. And you have your retirement day. You have your big retirement party, and then you have a meeting with your money manager who's been handling your money for 30-plus years. And he said, okay, I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to, to, to uh, get payout so I can live and stay in my home and, 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 and be with my grandkids. All right. I'm ready to cash out. I'm like, all right, you're going to be so happy with me. All right, yeah, really? Okay, what? It's like, here's all your money back. Didn't lose a dime. Wait, 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 what? Like, I'm glad I didn't lose a dime, but just give me my money back? You've been holding on to my money for 30 years? Like, where's the growth? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm scared of what's happening in the world, so I just put all your money instead of in the market. I put it in tin cans, and I buried it in my backyard, and I got the shovel out yesterday. I got, it was all there. I counted it all. Here it is. Aren't you happy? You'd be mad, wouldn't you? You'd immediately have to probably sell your home. You'd have to immediately start to rethink your whole life because the person that was managing your money was a bad manager. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's telling this not so that uh, to be a money manager. and um, He's telling this story to bring a spiritual reality. And the spiritual reality is this. God has entrusted us. He's entrusted us with so much. He's entrusted us with everything. Everything belongs to God. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. Everything is his. And everything that we have is entrusted from God to us to be good stewards, to be good stewards of what he's entrusted us with. That means our possessions, our money, our relationships, our very lives, everything. And his gospel, his mission. He expects that when we die or he comes back, whatever comes first, that we have grown that we are good stewards of every area of our life. That we don't have a poverty mindset. By the way, a poverty mindset isn't somebody who's like, okay, I gotta have a certain amount of money in my bank account. You can have a poverty mindset and be a millionaire. You can have a poverty mindset and have a penny. A poverty mindset is a mindset, it's not what you have. Because the reason why Christians aren't have a poverty mindset isn't because of name it or claim it. No, that's garbage, no. It is about who Christ is. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you get Christ. You get the owner of the cattle of the thousand hills. He knows exactly what you need. He, is, he has given you every spiritual blessing from the heavenlies. God entrusts you and he equips you with everything that you need in your life to be faithful to him. But it, the excuse of the poverty mindset will rob you in partnering with God. God has more than enough to bless you. 
But many of us feel like we're lacking. God, I don't have enough. So I'm going to have to take a pause with you, God, until I get this figured out over here. God, I'm going to have to take a pause with you, God, until, until you know, I just get this figured out over here. And, you know, God, I, just, I could never do what you're asking me to do because there's just no way I could fill in the blank. I want you to look at, here's a tip, I want you to look at the areas that you are, have the most poverty mindset. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you feel like there's just no way that anybody could ever listen to me. Maybe, maybe it's a, mind, a poverty mindset of, 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 of uh, your family or, or what God can do through you in the church. When you're relieved of a poverty mindset, you will become more generous instantly. You'll give your friend more time by listening to them. Uh, you'll invest more in your family or your church. Or, and church that is giving time to the Lord, giving time to Sunday morning. This is an investment of time, giving an investment of time in, in, life, in city groups or an investment of time of even your finances or, or even boots on the ground and getting on mission. A poverty mindset says, I don't have enough. But getting rid of the poverty mindset realizes, God, you are enough and you'll give everything that I need to accomplish your will through my life. Stop excusing your excuses. It's not about what you don't have. God owns it all. Another reason why we make excuses is wrong priorities. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. We read this earlier. I'll read it again, and we'll take a look at the full passage on this. Then he told them a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Okay, we kicked the message off. Uh, with this parable, the person was throwing a huge party, and undoubtedly he put out a guest list, and undoubtedly everybody said, we're coming. This was really important because they didn't have grocery stores. You couldn't go to the Woodman's uh, back in Jesus' day. You literally had to own the animals and slaughter them or go to the market with other people's animals, buy them so they may be slaughtered. It was made to order, literally, all right? And so it's really important to know who's going to be at this party. And so he's inviting his friends, his family, the who's who in, in society. It was going to be a big party. This person was being generous because he wasn't charging anybody to come in and eat this food. And everybody said, we are coming. They said yes. But their yes wasn't a yes. It was a no. By the way, the... the, the the moral of this story of, of this parable wasn't that everybody should have said yes to the banquet. It's that when they said yes to the banquet, they should have kept their word. But one after another, they made excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. What a lame excuse. Well, wait a minute. How many of you heard that and you're like, well, actually, that's a pretty good excuse. He bought a field and he needs to go see it. Let's just get this out of the way right away. The reason why Jesus is telling these examples of excuses is because they are bad excuses. They are not legitimate excuses. And often, bad, foolish, and lame excuses sound really wise and even really spiritual. So why was this a bad excuse? It sounds sensible. It sounds prudent. He needs to go look at the field he bought. But here's, here's the thing. Especially in Jesus' day, somebody would not have bought a field without looking at it already. And if he bought a field, it's his. He can look at it whenever he wants to. The field's not going anywhere, right? But yet he chose the very moment of the banquet of what he said yes to, 
to go look at a field that will always be there. Bank won't always be there. Field will, but he chose, chose to look at the field, but he cloaked it in wisdom. I bought this field. It's a really good investment. I need to go look at it. I need to go look at it, and I need to go look at it, okay? So I'm not gonna be there because I'm gonna go look at it, all right? Here's another excuse, verse 19. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm gonna try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And again, this excuse doesn't pass the test. This guy would not have bought oxen without first trying it out. It'd be like buying a car and, and not doing a test drive. I know some people do that. Sometimes that really bites you, right? I've, I've known people like, you know, I just didn't test it out. I just bought it on the internet and I just, I went for it. And then it just broke the next week, right? The reason why you want to test a car, especially used cars, you want to see how it shifts and you want to see how it drives. You want to see how it turns, right? And so this person bought a yoke, five yoke of oxen, Without even trying them out. That ain't wrong. No, he tried them out. He tried them out. And then again, he basically said, I can't come to the party because I need to try them out. That'd be like you saying yes to a party. Like, hey, no, I got a new car. It's really awesome. I'm going to go cruising. I'm going to drive it around. Right? I, I need to drive it around. I need to break the car in. I need to figure out, you know, just how it handles. Zero to 60 and all that stuff. So I can't come to the party. Sorry. He'd be like, that is a lame excuse. Lame excuse right here. You can try out the oxen later on. They'll still be there, just like the field, all right? Verse 20. Another said, oh, this one's good. Oh, this one's good. Oh, some of you are going to resonate with this. Some of you are like, wait, 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 wait. I, I think this one's good. Verse 20. And another said, I just got married. I just got married, and therefore I can't come. I would have probably bought in that. But, oh, okay, uh, that's legit. That sounds really, really good. Yeah, you just got married. Yes, you just be there with your spouse. Yeah, yes, yeah, you just got married. You know, I understand, like, if he got married yesterday. And he's on his honeymoon. But he's using an excuse that's based out of a law that you find in Deuteronomy that when a man and woman got married, they no longer had, for one year, they didn't have to do military service or work so that they can do life together with the Lord, with each other, and in community. And yet, what we see here is that, like, yeah, we just got married, you know, that one-year thing? Like, we ain't coming. I know we said we'd come, but you know what? We're just, we just gazed in each other's eyes today, and we're like, you know what? We're not coming, all right? Like, like uh, we're just going to hang out, right? Or we're just going to do whatever we want to do. You know, like, that's kind of what we do. You know, we just remind people, like, we want to do something. Uh, we just got married. Uh, by the way, I hear that excuse a lot. That's a legitimate, like, look, if you're, if, if, if you're married, you, you need to invest in your marriage. You need to have a date night. You need to make sure that you're communicating right. If you're newly married, I get it. You're trying to get your house in order. But I'm going to tell you, I have seen, there's two times I see people disconnect from the Lord in their adulthood. It's when they get married because they make the excuse, I just got married. So they disconnect from God and God's community. And it's when people buy a house. When people buy a house, like, oh, man, we got to renovate it now. All right, we'll see you in about a year. And then I don't see him ever again. I remember telling one person years ago, hey, you just bought a house. Okay, hey, be, be careful. This is when people disconnect. I never saw the person again. They're with us all this time, and then all of a sudden they're gone, right? That was years ago. And so it looks like it's a good excuse, but it's not. In fact, being newly married is a, all the more the reason that they should get together at this banquet because they have time. Sounds like a great excuse, but it's not. Jesus calls it lame. Verse 21. So the servant, after hearing all this, this is his reaction. He, the servant came back and reported these things to the master. And then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, fine, go quickly into the streets. We're going to do this banquet, all right? I bought the cows, all right? I, I, I got all the fruit, right? 
Uh, like, we are going to have an amazing banquet. They don't want to come. We're still going to do it. You go out to the streets. Uh, you, you go out and, and you find people. You go to the alleys of the city, bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, the servant said, what, what you are ordered has been done and there's still room. And then the master told the servant, go to the highways, go to the hedges, make them come in so that my house may be filled. You, you, we're going to have a party. You look everywhere. You look in those bushes. You look in the ditches. You look for the people that nobody wants to talk to. They're, oh, man, that person smells. They stink. Oh, man, that person, I don't know about them. You bring them on in here because we're going to have a party. Verse 24. For I tell you, not one of these people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. If his friends couldn't be there, he was going to make new friends. And it's with the people that were overlooked. Here's why Jesus told this story. We often have wrong priorities. And this banquet represents Christ and the people that are invited to commune with him. Those that respond to his salvation. Those who are to respond to being obedient to him in every area of life. You're a follower of Christ. This is you. This is me. The banquet is something we should not miss. But often when it comes to the things of the Lord... We constantly allow lesser things. It could even be good things to get in the way of the greatest thing. We let the, our emotions take control. Oh, man, I'm too tired to read God's word today. Oh, man, I'm just too anxious to go before God in prayer. Oh, man, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. We let our feelings get in the way. We let our busyness become an excuse. If you're too busy uh, to pray, then you're doing the wrong things. Uh, if you're too busy to get in God's community, you need to rearrange your calendar. So what gets in the way of God? Here's a tip. I want you to write this out. You don't need to do this now. This is your homework. I want you to write out how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you think about, what you're all about, what's your passion. I want you to write these things out, okay? So this is your homework. Don't do this now. But I want you to write this down even if it's in your notepad. Don't forget this, all right? What gets in the way of God? How do you spend your time, your money? What do you think about? What are you passionate about? What do you do with these things? whether they're good or they're bad, at the expense of God. We need to stop excusing our excuses. It is preventing you from growing into who God wants you to be. All right, let's give a few quick shout-outs. We won't spend as much time with these two other examples. And again, there's plenty of other examples, but these are the ones that, the top ones, that I see even hit the people of God. Uh, another example is procrastination. <laughs> Some of us are like, uh-oh, this one hits home hard, Right? procrastination and guess what in our city groups we're going to hit this one even harder than we have time to deal with today we're actually going to read a passage uh, uh, about procrastination but procrastination some of you are sighing right now this is great but procrastination is making an excuse to delay action where there's necessary change some of you love to wait to the last minute now i understand if you think best under pressure that's a little bit different but some of you love to wait to the last minute, whether it's writing your paper, doing yard work, doing that honey-do list, making the necessary changes of getting healthy now, growing spiritually, you get it, right? Oftentimes we put off what's most important and we do what we want to do instead. It is not about necessarily what you want to do, it's what you need to do. Man, that, you, want to, you want to get a promotion at work? Start doing what needs to be done, not what you want to do. 
You know, I, there's a lot of leadership books out there today where they tell you about becoming passionate about what you want to do. And I just want to say that maybe in the previous economy that worked, but we're working in an economy where people are looking for people just to do work. And I want you to know this right now. Sometimes it's not about what you're passionate about doing. It's instead even more important about what needs to be done in working together as a team. And I believe that a lot of leadership books are going to be rewritten in the next 10 years. And I think, to be honest, when we read scripture, uh, it is about teamwork. It's about the vision and mission that Jesus gives us, not necessarily about, well, I want to do it this way. All right, we need to hold that loosely, and we need to hold firmly what needs to get done, not what I want to do in the moment. And it's often the, what we procrastinate with is what we don't want to do. I know I need to get this done. I don't want to do it. I'd rather do this. And it's often what we want to do over here. It lacks sometimes importance completely. No matter what we do, uh, I want you to know that procrastination, uh, it, it does have its consequences. It wastes precious time. It causes unneeded stress or anxiety. And people could actually look at you, whether at your job or maybe you're at your school or whatever, people might consider you unreliable. And our attitude needs to be this. No matter what we do, whether it's work we want to get done or work we don't want to get done, but it needs to get done, we need to understand our ultimate boss is the Lord God Almighty. So when we make the excuse of procrastination, we aren't just procrastinating against a boss or a spouse or a friend, it's the Lord God Almighty. And so I want you, this must be our attitude, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. We do things to give God maximum glory. I, I worked at a, um, an Applebee's for many years. And I remember some of my coworkers who were Christians were some of the worst workers and I remember one of my uh, employee, one of my boss, who was an atheist, came up to me and goes, hey, I just want you to know, uh, like, what's with some of the people from your school? Like, aren't they supposed to represent Jesus? I'm like, man, they got our number, right? People are watching. They're watching. And so it's important that we do things unto the Lord to give him glory. So in anything you do, be hungry, hustle, be humble. Don't be that person that people are wondering, is it ever going to get done? Or they're rolling their eyes at. Be a person that your words actually matter. When you say you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, it gets done. And again, I know there's, there's things that come up legitimately in life. I know there are things that we, sometimes we just make a mistake, own up to it, right? But don't make a lifestyle of not being reliable and procrastinating. Last reason why, I'm going to talk about this morning anyway, of why we make excuses. It's just a habit. It's a habit. You've been making excuses so much so that you're not even aware that you're doing it and you make excuses for everybody else. It's just a habit. And so uh, you need to become aware of, allow someone to speak into your life and when you're, when you're aware of it, don't ignore it. Stop excusing your excuses. So we've talked about a number of reasons why you have excuses. Let's talk very briefly now of how to stop them. All right, how to stop them. We'll talk more about this in our city groups this week. But how to stop them. How to stop telling excuses. Number one is, do what God has already said. Do what God has already said. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Do what God says. What you now know, go and do it. The church doesn't need experts of the word. Uh, they need to know the word of God, but they need to do the word of God, all right? And so let's do it. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. Doesn't mean you're not gonna have to learn things or you know, there might be a day that you're having a harder day than not. Uh, but we need to be doers of the word, not just people in theory. That means that we need to spend time with God, that we need to give ourselves to God, that, that we need to share our faith with the Lord. Be doers of the word. Uh, secondly, how to stop telling excuses is don't over-spiritualize things. 
especially followers of Christ, we have a tendency uh, to make excuses cloaked in spirituality. Often excuses are made in the name of Jesus. Usually they sound like this. Here are Christian-sounding excuses. They sound really good. I prayed about it. I'm not going to do that because I, I prayed about it. Or, you know, God told me. Or, or this is what's best for my family. Or the Holy Spirit led me. Listen, all those things are really, really good. Family's good. Praying's good, right? Uh, hearing from God, really, really, really good things. But what people will do is they'll take these really good things and they'll put it at the end of the reason why they're not doing something as an end all is you better not even question me. Don't even question it. Why? Because I prayed about it or God told me or, or you know, it's, you know it's, it's what's best. And that's why John told the church in 1 John 4, 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Seek out the word of God. What does the word of God say? Test, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you in some way, test that. Seek out uh, uh, your pastors. Uh, seek out people in your, in your city group. I, I, I don't have fingers left of people that have come and they've said, uh, they've made huge decisions in their life, disastrous decisions as we look back, and, and they come to me or they come to a, another pastor in the church and say, hey, this is what we're doing. I'm like, man, are you just checking off a box because like, I talked to the pastor? You told the pastor, you didn't talk with the pastor, right? Too often we're making spiritual decisions that aren't spiritual, but we put spiritual on it. And so what's really important that you take time uh, you take time to uh, test out uh, what you believe you might be led to do. And don't make God your excuse to not to do it. By the way, you could fool a person, but God doesn't buy it. I and mean, when you use God as an excuse to not do what you're supposed to do. So don't over-spiritualize it. How, do, uh, how to stop telling excuses? Last thing is make the right changes now. Take action instead of making an excuse. This means that you're going to make life decisions that will improve your health. Now, you're gonna stop vaping, for instance. You're gonna stop your ditching, uh, drinking or other addictive vices. Uh, for some of you, you're gonna pause before you speak because you have such a horrible tendency of having such negative things come out of your mouth. Uh, you're gonna become more reliable at work by, uh, by asking your coworkers to help you with blind spots. Or you're gonna make more time for Christian community or church. Uh, you're gonna maybe give for the first time at your church. Maybe you're gonna join a group or you're gonna invite people for the first time. Maybe when, if you're married, you're gonna date your wife again and have a date night. Uh, maybe you're gonna start reading the Bible afresh daily because you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna start doing it now. You have tons of excuses not to do any of those things but you can say you know what this, uh, obedience now obedience now God I'm going to do this now and you're not going to do it in your strength because you'll fail you must do it by the power of the Holy Spirit Ephesians 3.20 now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask and think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen when you stop making excuses and you start obedience now and you don't do it in your own strength, you do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know this right now, you do not know what lies in the balance, what hangs in the balance when you rely on, the, on God and his power instead of your excuses. When you rely on your excuses, you don't know what you're missing. But when you rely on the Holy Spirit, you're gonna to begin to see him do things you never thought were possible and capable being done in and through you. Here's take it home. Recognize, I've given you some homework already, but here's, Here's a additional homework. Take it home. Recognize when you make excuses and ask God for forgiveness and help. Write out the reasons you are making excuses. Think, dig deep. Why do I make these excuses? Am I fearful? Uh, do I not want to, am I scared what happens if I admit this? 
And what changes do you need to make right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your spirit to make us more than capable uh, of, of doing way beyond uh, what we could ever dream. But God, I pray today that we would stop making excuses. That we would pray today uh, that, um, and trust you that, there'd be, that we would have God-sized solutions to our excuses. So God, I pray for first the person today that maybe has been making excuses of not saying yes to you, of not placing your faith and trust in you. In fact, as we pray right now, I just wanna to talk to everybody in this room. You might be in this room today thinking, I've heard about Jesus, but I've made all the excuses in the world of not entering in a personal relationship with him. Maybe I think like, oh, I'll do it later in life, or maybe I'm just too busy, or man, I got other priorities in my life. I want you to know the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Have you been making excuses of not getting right with God? See, just as God formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb, he formed you in your mother's womb. You're not an accident. God created you to have a relationship with him. But the reality is we wanted nothing to do with him. We've sinned. We've been separated from almighty God. And no human will or human religion will ever get you back to God. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to be a bridge from us to God. Jesus, fully God, fully man, went to the cross and died for our sins, past, present, and future. He forgave us of our sins. And because he was a sinless sacrifice, death couldn't keep him when he died on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. And our response now is to receive this forgiveness, receive this salvation that allows us to know him personally. So if you need to get right with God right now, just talk to him. In the quietness of your heart, you could even say it out loud, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong in my heart. I've done wrong in my life. I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. Just tell the Lord Jesus you're placing your full faith and trust in him right now. Lord Jesus, I trust you fully that you are God, that you're savior of the world, that you died on the cross, that you saved me from my sins, that you rose from the dead and you're giving me life. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. Just cry out to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. If that's you this morning, if today you may write with God, you place your faith and trust in him alone, will you just look up at me? Just make eye contact with me right now. Say, that's, I just want to pray for you this week. If that's you, if you've said yes to Jesus today, you're make, making right with him. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are saying yes to you today that are placing their faith and trust in you alone. Now, Lord, we pray for those that struggle with excuses. Lord, we pray that you would put to death our excuses and that we would live in the fullness of who you are. God, I pray that we'd say yes to you in every area of our life and that we become reliable followers of Christ, not because of our strength, because your spirit is on display. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. 
If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.